Hello, my friends. This is life coach Mike Chargman, and welcome to an episode of Mike's Search for Meaning. I'm after some big questions. Why are we here? What makes a fulfilling life? How can we grow individually and collectively? Each episode, I'll dive deep with leaders who are doing great work in the world and see how they organize their life. Books read, value systems, resources used, and stories that show how each of you can create the life and the world of your dreams. My guest today is Jules Pelayev. You can connect with Jules at justjulesnutrition.com, her website, and her Instagram is at Julie Pelayev. These are each linked in the show notes. Also linked in the show notes is the organization that Jules would like to raise awareness for, and that organization is called St. Baldrick's, which Julie speaks a little bit to at the end of the conversation. Please join me in donating. Now, why is this conversation for you? So ostensibly, Jules is a health coach who helps people get in touch with their vitality and get their energy back. And Jules has a really interesting story. She recounts times in her life where she was getting by on cigarettes and Mountain Dew. Like that was primarily what her diet was. And she's now helping people eat food that's really nourishing and nutritious for them. So Jules has a really interesting story about how she got from Mountain Dew and cigarettes to vibrant health and well-being. And on the surface, she's really helping her clients make better choices in their life. And on a deeper level, Jules understands that mindset and the way that we look at the world, our beliefs, and, and maybe most importantly, our unconscious programming. So ways that we were affected well before we had any cognitive function are largely impacting the way that we make choices in our life. So it's easy to focus on the what should we be eating, but the more transformational change happens when we go underneath the hood and say, well, why am I making these different choices in my life? So when you work with Jules, you're not only making ultimately better choices about your nutrition, you're better understanding who you are and making better overall choices in your life. And we explore how all of that works in her coaching and, and the way that she looks at her own inner work as well. We also focus on the mind-body-spirit connection and different ways that she connects with herself, including through writing and the morning pages, which is a practice that I love and is another way that illuminates some of our unconscious programming and, and making it more conscious, bringing it into our awareness. So Jules is really a breadth of health and wellness and human behavior knowledge. She's a deep student of what it means to be alive and was just an incredible guest to have on the podcast. So with all of that said, let's settle in, take a deep breath. and enjoy what Jules has for us right now. Jules, welcome to Mike's Search for Meaning. Hi, Mike. Thanks for having me. Yes, of course. It's such a privilege to have you on. And a shout out to Janine for the introduction. I, I like to give the shout out for the introductions. I always have good conversations with people that are in the Boulder area. There's just something about the energy and, and the spirit of folks that live in the Boulder area. And... I would like to start our conversation by asking you pretty much the same question I start every interview with. What was it like at your dinner table when you were growing up? Uh, well, 
I have a memory of sitting at the table. I'm one of three and I'm the middle. And my memory is that someone had to sit on the opposite side of the table because they were sort of like the troublemaker. And I was asking my mom about this and I thought it was my sister, my older sister. And she was like, nope, it was you. <laughs> and so I was like, well, my sister must have been like really sensitive. And that's why I, she had to be over there. And the more that I reflect on it and like who I was is like, I was a busybody. You know, I was always like fidgeting, you know, just kind of cracking jokes, just sort of like kind of pushing people's buttons. And so my mom said, oh yeah, dinner was a lot less chaotic when you sat on the other side by yourself. <laughs> and so I have earlier memories of maybe sitting next to someone, but yeah, I was, I was put over on that other side so that I didn't disrupt the piece, <laughs> which is kind of funny. Uh-huh. Okay. So, so young Jules maybe was a little bit of a troublemaker, liked to poke at people. How else would you describe what you were like when you were younger? You know, I just think I was silly and goofy and, you know, my parents would say that I was someone who would, you know, follow the beat of her own drum or whatever that saying is, mm -hmm. dance to the beat of her own drum. So, yeah, I mean, I was super duper active. I was always going a hundred miles per minute. <laughs> it's funny to talk about this, Mike, because I have three kids now and oh my goodness, are they a reflection? But no, my nickname was fruit fly. So if you can imagine a fruit fly, just like bouncing from one thing to the other, I never sat still. And, you know, for a super empathic sibling, which is my older sister. I, yeah. I can see how I was her biggest nightmare. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> uh -huh. So one of three, now you have three of your own. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious what, th there's a lot of energy there. Fruit fly invokes someone who's really bouncing around a lot and who had lots of energy. I know that you really like to move around when you were younger, probably to a certain extent you still do, mm -hmm. but I'm, I'm curious how that showed up in maybe your adolescent years when you were looking to, I don't know, make your first professional leap of any kind. Maybe it was, I don't know if you went to college, but like, what did you decide you wanted to do with your life when you started to figure all those things out? Well, I wanted to be a dance major originally, which is hilarious because there's no way I would have made it as a professional dancer. <laughs> but I, that, what that shows me is that I was really someone who early in my college career, college days, I wanted to follow my passion and I love to move. I did dance as you know, a kid and I ran and I was a swimmer, you know, I did a lot of different sports and activities, played soccer and all these things. And I think for me, dance was this indicator for me now looking back that I just wanted to follow my heart. I wanted to do something that lit me up that I was passionate about. 
And so, you know, I think that that was one of those things Like, I did not major in dance. I took a few semesters of dance and realized I was way out of my league. You know, the people who major in dance had been, you know, professionally like trained in ballet since they were like five. And I just like to, you know, I just, I just like to move. I like dance. I like music. I just, you know, I more so was really drawn, I think, to doing something that was a little unusual, you know, not the standard go to business school and, you know, go get a job on, you know, like with climb the corporate ladder, like that to me was, yeah, something that I was like, really like, Oh, I don't want to do that when I grow up. <laughs> I wanted yeah. to do something different. And, and where did that take you? So if it wasn't, it wasn't dance. And I imagine, I think if my memory serves me correctly and doing some homework on you, you've been in holistic health coaching for 15 years or so. Yeah. About 15 years. So I ended up getting a degree in journalism. So I was extremely sensible, (laughs) (laughs) which my parents appreciated. And, you know, again, going through this program, I was very turned off by the news. I wanted nothing to do with media, which posed a problem because again, I was in journalism school, but what I identified was a track in magazine journalism. And to me, magazine was this like, you know, like a a doorway into various passions. And so I always had loved to write. I kept a journal from the time I was, I don't know, probably up to a lot. I don't even know when you learn to write maybe nine or 10, 11, 12, something like that. Always kept a journal, was always super introspective, loved to write. So I went down the path of journalism, magazines, specifically journalism, because I thought, well, you know, this is something I can follow my passion with and continue to write as a skill, but also, you know, I could travel, I could make my own schedule, I could, you know, follow whatever my heart's desire was, <laughs> depending on, you know, the, you know, the season of life that I was in. Mm-hmm. And I'm really, you know, I look back and I'm like, yeah, that was the right call. <laughs> mm-hmm. it, it was the right call until maybe it wasn't the right call. And I'm, I'm wondering how that might have showed up for you. Did, was there, were there moments where it started to feel like journalism wasn't in alignment with you anymore. And what did that misalignment look like for you? Yeah. So I did go, I I did originally start working at a magazine and I was based out of New York city and I worked for a small startup travel magazine. And I was on the phone calling all the freelance writers to fact check. And what I discovered was that they were all living in Boulder. (laughs) And so I was like, I am clearly in the wrong location. You know, like I didn't want to go climb indoor at the gym in New York city. I wanted to be out in the mountains on the rock in the woods. And so that's what brought me to Boulder. And my other passion at that time was really, I had an introduction to yoga and Boulder was a Mecca in 1999. It was a Mecca for Bikram yoga And so I came here and really, again, was like, how am I going to support myself? I ended up up getting a job that was in, I worked for a creative agency. So I wasn't directly using my journalism at that point. But what I was able to do was live in this incredible 
place, do a ton of yoga. And it was really through yoga that got me on my path that I'm on today that got me to holistic health. Mm. Beautiful. So there's, there's another element of your story that I would love to focus on because I think it really intimately ties to your connection to health. And if you look in polarities, it, it shows maybe what it felt like to be in really poor health. And I know that at one point you were smoking cigarettes, you were drinking Mountain Dew mm -hmm. and you were really, I don't know if you were rail thin, but you, you were really skinny and you were also looking at cigarettes and Mountain Dew as things that would help you feel skinnier. Mm -hmm. And I, I imagine that I don't know exactly where in the timeline of your life that that happened. I believe it was a little bit before Boulder, but I'm wondering if you could just speak to uh, to that a little bit, because I think it really it resonates with me to a certain extent that I got into health because of just how crappy it felt to be on the other side of it. And yeah, I would love to hear you take it from here. Yeah. So I was in college and I, I mean, prior to college, I had a lot of stomach issues and, you know, what that looked like was, you know, eating from the school cafeteria in high school and then not being able to make it to my next class because my stomach was just in so much pain, like knives shooting from the inside. And so my stomach has really always been, well, now more so, and I look back, my stomach was kind of my guide. And so in my freshman year in high school, the dorm room food would destroy me. And, you know, so I, you know, I started cooking meals in the microwave, like, you know, I think a lot of kids do, but just avoiding the food that was in the cafeteria because it gave me such a stomach ache. And, you know, food was a source of like pain, right? And so it was easier to not eat in a lot of ways, which now I look back and I definitely had some flavor of disordered eating, you know, where if you drink a liter of Mountain Dew and smoke a pack of cigarettes a day, you can get away with having one meal. And that's what I did for sadly a really long time. And at the same time, as I was, you know, going through this journalism program and, you know, they encourage you to like pick a topic of your choice and talk about it. I was always talking about food and mood and natural health, holistic health, supplements. I wanted to hang out at the natural food store and understand what echinacea would do for you. And, you know, I learned, was learning how to cook for myself. And this is again, outside of, you know, when I lived on my own, but still in college. And so, you know, I had this passion for holistic health and yet I had these habits that just did not line up. And so fast forward many years later, you know, at one point my brother-in-law called me out and he was like, there is a big disconnect here. Like, why are you talking all about holistic health and yoga, but you're still smoking. And that was my wake up moment where I was like, oh yeah, this doesn't work. This is not who I am anymore. And it's certainly not who I want to be. And so when, I don't know if you've ever smoked or had a bad habit, but it, it took a little bit in order to kick that habit, you know, because I mean, it's, it's super addictive for a reason, right? It's, it's not the easiest thing in the world to give up. Yeah. So I, I've never consistently smoked cigarettes. I have definitely had bad habits. I remember in, in college, a lot of times as an avoidance, I would, 
I would drink a lot. I'd smoke cigarettes and underneath it was a lot of pain like you. It was different. I didn't have really digestive issues to that extent, but I do believe that a lot of times when we have negative habits or a crutch that we lean on that causes maybe dis-ease in the body, not not necessarily a quote-unquote disease, but like dis-ease. Mm -hmm. In my experience, a lot of times it is a masking of pain of mm -hmm. some kind. And yeah, I would, I would love to hear if that was true for you and that there's all sorts of different things that I would love to explore here. But I know that a lot of my bad habits have come from Mike, I don't want to feel the pain. So let's just go do this thing. And then eventually the pain of not doing the thing actually supersedes <laughs> the pain of avoidance. I'm I'm wondering if that was true for you in some way. You know, I'm not sure about that. I'm <laughs> Of course, in so many ways. Yes, of course. I mean, you know, insecurity, you know, in some ways, like doing what pe my peers were doing, you know, my cousins, my sister, my mom at the time, they all smoked, they don't anymore. But, you know, it was the thing that we all did. And I'm so happy that it's like fallen out of fashion in so many ways. But I, I think that, you know, smoking, drinking in so many ways, oftentimes eating for a lot of people, it is a way to mask, you know, really having to show up who, as who we truly are. And so I think a lot of us are putting on a mask, you know, I, I would say that where I am in my life now, I'm trying to figure out how to take the mask off, yeah. <laughs> you know, now that you can like see a lot of the things that we do for what they are, I'm trying to like break those programs and those habits, but you know, in a lot of ways, I was just trying to fit in uh, a part of my story, Mike, that you may not know is that I moved around a lot growing up. We moved nine times before I was nine. Wow. And so I, a new school every couple years, actually, I guess it's not nine times by the time I was nine. Uh, Cause we moved a couple times after that, but moved probably seven times before I was nine. And one of the things that I became very skilled at was figuring out how to like blend in to the environment, you know, how to make friends quickly. And so on the one hand, I was, I think looking back, I, I was learning how I wanted to fit in. I wanted to be liked. And at the same time, there was this part of me that was like totally rebelled against that, you know? So there was like this push pull between my persona mm. I can really relate to that as well. The equal parts wanting to fit in and and really wanting to be individual and, and be in my own. But I don't know if you've heard, Brene Brown says the opposite of belonging is fitting in. And I, I find that yeah. really interesting. Yeah, so where like real true belonging is there is, you can just be who you really are and fitting in at least the way that I would think about it and seems like the way that you and I, that you think about it and Brene Brown thinks about it is that you're compromising some part of yourself in order mm -hmm. to, uh, to be received well by your peers or the people that you're surrounded by, which I think is a really a powerful survival strategy, especially when we're kids. We, we don't, we don't really have the tools to get in touch with who we are when we feel disconnected. But I'm hearing that, so yoga and moving to Boulder were two ways that you started to find yourself more. 
And I know that morning pages were maybe another way, and you've spoken a little bit to writing and, and your journalism career. Could you talk about morning pages? And I also would love to explore other ways that you have come to terms with who you really are and, and putting the mask and the armor down, but what are, what are the morning pages? Well, have you ever heard of Julia Cameron and her book, The Artist Way? Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course you have. I'm surprised often how often, like how, how many people haven't heard of it because it is such a classic and it must've come out in the early 2000s. Actually, I don't know what the publication date is on it, but I picked this book up around the time that I was really wanting to get clear on my path in life. And I was, you know, I still had kind of an an identity attached to being a smoker in one aspect of my world. And then in another aspect, it wasn't there at all. So I was really trying to like, you know, kind of figure out what I was going to do with my life and also, you know, who I wanted to be in this world. And so the, the process of morning pages is essentially getting out a journal and putting pen to paper every single morning for three pages. And it doesn't matter if you just move your hand across the page and say, I don't know what to write. I don't know what to write. I don't know what to write. Eventually something spills out. And what I realized after about three months of doing this consistently was that I physically was so sick of writing. I want to quit smoking. I should quit smoking. God, why can't I quit smoking or some flavor of that? That eventually it's like I purged it out of my body and then I was able to see it on the paper and I was like, enough. And this is so dead and over. This is not who I am anymore. I keep complaining about it. You know, in my head, it's like there was a well-worn pathway or neural network that was just used to complaining about having something to complain about complaining about something that I didn't like about myself. And so eventually I was like, you know what? I can do this. I am so over this and I can do this. And that was the end of it. It was like the morning pages were such therapy for me. And, you know, I still journal not every single day, although I'm starting a program later today, actually, where I will be journaling every single day. (laughs) We can talk a little bit about that, but it's so incredibly therapeutic. It's such a way for you to actually see the rampant, habitual, unconscious programming that's in, you know, that's basically in there. And I often think of it as like, sort of like emptying the trash every single morning. You just like dump it out. Like you push the button and the paper crumbles up and then you're like, Oh, I'm free of that now. Like I don't have to, it so frees up all this space for your creativity, for you to show up as who you want to be, for you to realize your full potential and to like be, show up and be the person that you want to be when you don't have that garbage in your head. That's what it was for me. Yeah. And it's beautiful. I, I haven't super consistently adhered to doing morning pages, but at various points in my life, of course, when I probably, when I was in the most pain, is when I would turn to the morning pages. And there is something really beautiful about the distance that's created when you, even if you're just writing, I, I need to stop smoking. Why am I smoking? I need to start, stop smoking. If you write that over and over and over again, 
there's a, it is a purging, like you said, and there's a distance that's created where you realize, yeah, I can, I can put that down, actually. I don't have to live with that. Mm -hmm. And I think this is one of the reasons that people are so drawn to writing, myself definitely included, is that there's just something magical about it. The, yeah, I, I don't really know how else to explain it, that if you put pen to paper, then things can shift. And I feel the same way about meditation as well, that sometimes it's really just a, you know, my mind is ruminating for 15 minutes and I used to make that a bad thing, but a lot of times I go, that's maybe just what my mind needed. It was in overdrive and it needed to think about a lot of crap. And now I got that out of the way. I'm more free to be who I am or to be creative or to be more connected. And I'm, I'm wondering if there's anything else before we spend the rest of the conversation talking about the beautiful work you're doing, if there's anything else that helped you feel more connected to who you are, especially when you are in times of distress or trouble in your life. Yes. And can I say one more thing about the writing? You sure I can. think that what I've learned recently in the past year or so is that I can have a direct conversation with my higher self when I'm writing. Mm. And it's, it's really fascinating. And it's something that, again, I'm diving deeper into starting today, but it's it, the relationship that I have to my writing is the relationship that I have to my higher self. And sometimes like the morning pages, I was just dumping and purging and, like you, when I'm in a lot of pain, sometimes that's what I have to do. But there are other times when I'm like, I don't know what to do, or I'm like feeling a little frustrated, or I'm a little concerned, and there's a question that I know the answer is somewhere in here, but I can't access it. I will sort of like do a dialogue with myself. And like, you can really feel sort of the personality shift. Like, I can hear the voice in my head when I when it's kind of like my little S self asking, like, oh, I don't know what to do about this. And then my higher self, it's like a different tone. It's a different tone of voice and it's very distinct, which is something that's, I think, really fascinating and really cool to play with. Yeah. I don't know. Are you familiar with Elizabeth Gilbert? The, the author yes. of the Yes. Yeah. yeah. She, so A, she credits, I believe, at least the Italy portion of Eat, Pray, Love to doing the artist's way. And she... Yeah. For whatever reason, she just couldn't stop writing about Italy and learning Italian. And so I, I believe that the artist's way is in some way attributed to the reason that Eat, Pray, Love even exists. But the reason that I brought her up is because she, like you describing writing from your higher self, she writes to herself from love, which to yeah. me is the same thing as writing from your higher self, is if I were speaking to the greatest power of all, which to me is love or the universe or highest self or higher self, what would, what would love say to me right now? And I'm, I'm usually struck by how simple and yet profound the answers of that usually are. It's, it's almost never, you need to try harder or you need to be smarter or be more anything. It's always just uh, be gentle with yourself or, You'll, you're going to figure this out. Don't worry. Keep Just keep moving along. You're going to figure this out. And uh, yeah, even in this moment, just naming that, there's just, there's something that, <laughs> that our mind can't really go there. Your, our lowercase s self doesn't, isn't really capable of things like that. But the grace that our 
our higher self has is is always only always a, a really beautiful gift to have yeah i mean it's like i said trying to like get the mask out of the way it's like i think that where i am in my life life is again just trying to figuring out how to remove the blocks right yes. it's like I've studied A Course in Miracles over the years, and that's, you know, the who we are is love, and our job in this lifetime is just to remove the blocks that we have. And, you know, the ego wants so hard and so much to maintain the control, and sometimes it's like, my higher self is right there, but I can't even get the words out. Like my personality, yeah. my ego won't even let it like it. And so I'll start, you know, sort of tripping over my words, and I'm like, oh, that's so interesting because I can feel it right in the background, but like, my personality, my ego is like, nope, nope, not happening. <laughs> I'll say something. Then the ego will die. <laughs> eventually, in, in the purest of moments. And, and I'll also say that sometimes it shows up for me as a felt sense or just a, you know, ex experience in my body that I actually can't even put into words. And I'm really refining my own skill set to just allow it to be, sometimes it's an image, sometimes it's, yeah, just the, a, maybe a sensation in my heart opening and, and sometimes there are no words. So I think for, for me, when I, when I'm trying to find, I do this with purpose a lot, like really tried hard to find my purpose. Like what's, what's the exact slogan that I would say for my purpose. But a lot of times if I just feel into it, my heart feels like it's opening up and maybe that's what my purpose is in that moment. So uh, those are, those are beautiful sentiments to bring into the conversation and I, I think we'll maybe get back to that when we speak about calling your future self, which is, a, I think, something that you're maybe in the process of creating or have already created. But actually, let's go there. We can circle back to nutrition. We're, we're already talking about it. So in, in a lot of ways, I feel like we're, talk, we're speaking to the essence of what calling in your future self is. But what, what would you say is behind the intention of creating a program like this? So this is a free audio training that I created. It's on my website and anyone can grab it. And I've always been fascinated with visualization and manifestation. And I started, my mom actually taught me to visualize and imagine when I was 13 years old and I was swimming and I had had an event where I, I think I was doing the, I was doing the hundred meter fly for the very first time. And super competitive, super driven, you know, and so I was extremely upset when I inhaled a bunch of water <laughs> about a hundred meters from the end of the race. And I sort of hyperventilated and was choking and it was like, you know, semi-traumatic to my young self. And so when it came time for the next event or race, which was, a, you know, probably the following weekend, I was all worked up and I was having like a mini panic attack. And my mom took me in the locker room and, you know, she called, she helped calm me down. So we were breathing and just, you know, just trying again to calm my physiology down. And then she taught me to visualize and imagine, which was, you know, to close my eyes and to imagine every single detail, being up on the block, seeing the water, hearing the, you know, the, the starting gun go off, and then imagining every single stroke. I get choked up thinking about it because this is what I know is possible for us to do. Like we are so incredibly powerful. And I've I've used this throughout my life. I've used it, 
you know, and, and starting my first business, the conscious cleanse, I use, I've used it to have two healthy home birth babies. You know, I, I've used this technique to really create a life around my passion and purpose like you. And I think it's something that everybody needs to know. And I think that when it comes down to, you know, my clients who are coming to me, if they can understand what a huge percentage their mindset and their mind has to do with how they're physically going to feel physically, emotionally, spiritually, all of it, then that's a superpower. And I want everybody to, to know about that. And so that's why I created the training. Yeah. Is there, is there something that you're like, if you were to do that exercise with yourself right now, and I know that you're, you're in some, a moment of transition of, of some sort. So when we first initially spoke, you said that it seems like there's a new chapter that's emerging. I'm, I'm wondering if you're calling in your future self right now, like what's coming up for you? So it's interesting, Mike, because it's kind of like what you said with regards to like wanting to like have the words and put a stake in the sand, like <laughs> this is it. And I, you know, I have those purpose statements and those mission statements. And the, one of the guiding truths for me, as I will call it now is to, you know, really learn the truth of who I am and help my clients do the same. Like, who are we and what are we here for? Kind of like you, I would say a lot of, a lot like you. So, you know, having built a successful business having really realized a vision, which was to create a global community of like-minded health seeker seekers, having written two books and a cookbook and, and also having a family, all those were part of my vision. And, you know, what I am very aware of is that like, you can reach, I can reach these goals. And at the end of the day, it's still sort of, there's still suffering. <laughs> there's still suffering. <laughs> And so where I am with my vision and calling in my future self is it's like, it's really like feeling into moment to moment, what feels real and true and like where my, where my soul wants to go. And so it's unclear at this very moment. And I am sitting in being okay with that. I'm really yeah. sitting in not having goals and ambitions and mm -hmm. like, how can I show up every single day with my kids as the mother that I want to be? Because to me, that's the reason for it all. And again, yeah. you're making me cry. I'm like, I had a feeling I was going to need tissues today, <laughs> but you know, like all of my ambition and drivers and life have been around having a family and that got flip-flopped when I was very career focused and it, and so I'm just trying to reorient around that and really, really show up in, you know, all my ambition and all my joy and passion, which a lot comes from work really and truly it's where it is. And knowing that I signed on to like be the best mom that I can be. Yeah. 
Well, it's really beautiful. And thank you for sharing that. And, and since you showed me yours, maybe I, I can show you mine because this is, I think it's important to, to drop in and, and feel into who do we really want to be? What's it like to feel that? And if there's a gap, can we just be with that? Which is really what I'm hearing from you. Not, not even that there's a gap, but just like being okay that it's not clear, whatever the, the next chapter is or the next thing that it's not clear. And from time to time, when I drop in with myself, I just, I have this felt sense that on a personal level, I have everything that I need to thrive, meaning I can afford to have organic, really nutritious, nutrient dense food that supports me and different communities that I can thrive in. And I, in a lot of ways, I really feel like I can be the best version of myself. I've access to so many different therapeutic healing modalities. And when I really feel into like, what if, what if the whole world had access to all this in a way that it's not just for the select privileged few like me, but rather everyone would be able to, it just feels like the, as, as a planet, we have enough that it, there's enough abundance and enough love and definitely enough resources to go around and they don't need to be hoarded by the select few. And that feels it's grandiose and it's big to say, and it's like, how is that even possible, Mike? I mean, you like, let's, let's just start with controlling your own 20 square feet here. And so the, the kind of push and pull there is, I think a, a lot of there's like koans and there's polarities that two opposing things or things that don't seemingly make sense can equally be true. And so sometimes it's, the most meaningful thing that I can do to make a giant impact is to spend a weekend with my family or something. Mm -hmm. And in other times it's, yeah, let's like really be committed to creating in your workspace and taking on a project that feels alive for you. But just like nature, we are always unfolding and shifting gradually and, and evolving, evolving is the word that comes to mind for me. And so I think one thing that I'm really working on on learning is that I'm not going to one day magically declare what my purpose is and and make that manifest into reality. There's in any given moment, there's different purposes that can be there. And, and, and that's what I'm hearing from you, that sometimes it's I need to be a really present mom to my three boys. Other times, yes, I'm really ambitious and like, let's allow that ambition to be there. And the more that we can allow our whole self like that to show up in different contexts, I think the more ease and joy that we're going to experience in our life. And yeah, that, I guess that's, that's really what's underneath everything is that I, I wish it's the, uh, the old wish of may you be happy, may you be safe, may you be free from suffering and may you live your life with ease. Right. What if, what if everyone could live that? Yeah. Well said. Yeah. And I, you know, it's, it's also the idea that one-to-one, you can make a big impact one-to-one. You know, when I think about my first business, it was one-to-many. And that was my vision was to have a global impact. And now it's appreciating the one-to-one and the, the richness and the depth and just how much it is a, such a gift to learn every single day from my clients. Oftentimes I'm like, did someone send me this person because they needed me to hear it? Right. It's like such a reflection oftentimes 
what, you know, the deeper thing that people maybe are talking about, like it's so relatable and it's so the human experience. And then again, going back to like my kids, it's like, it's the one-to-one it's like, can I show up fully here with the fact that this four-year-old of mine does not want to go to preschool today? Can I just stop my agenda and the fact that I want to curl my hair for my interview today? (laughs) (laughs) Can I just be with him and let my suffering, let let my agenda go? And if I, if I let it go, we move through it like not always seamlessly, but with so much more grace and beauty than if I am like fighting against like, you know, like this has to happen right now on my time frame. I mean, I am practicing that over and over and over again these days. Me too. And it's one of the, I don't know if you're familiar with goalless coaching, but I, mm. it's one of the things that I'm most drawn to is really letting, letting go of agenda because it's, if you try and live your whole life from a place of control or uh, yeah, like managing and planning every single last detail, it is very, very fragile. And of course, especially with young children, <laughs> uh, not many things go exactly according to plan. And to to be able to to be with that instead of resisting it and like, oh, God, it can be, you know, it, it might sound silly as an example to be like, yeah, I wanted to curl my hair, but just earlier this morning, I also, my Wi-Fi wasn't really connecting well. And I was going to be, I was recording another thing in addition to this conversation that we're having right now. And I was losing my shit. Like I, I wanted to slam my laptop everywhere and I'm like, fuck, like I do so much work. And it, it's weird to be in that place of like acknowledging it while it's happening, but also like, I can't, but I can't control it in this moment. Like I just need the fucking Wi-Fi right now or else... <laughs> Or else I'm gonna lose it. I'm gonna, everything's going to shit. My whole life feels chaotic, and uh, yeah. So like, really being able to, I, I think what I originally was getting at was with goalless coaching or any form of space holding that orients you to the present moment, where just like life is so out of your control, and that's actually okay. Let's yeah. just let's just be with that. Uh, it's a it's a fun space to start playing with because I've spent my whole life trying to control as many things as possible. Other people's reactions to me, different details. Yeah, so it can be exhausting. Yeah, I mean, you're making me think of my 20-year-old self who was, you know, doing the cigarette Mountain Dew thing. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, I, I consider myself a recovering uh, perfectionist. And yet in those moments, when I think that I have to show up in a certain way, man, does that tendency come back, right? Mm-hmm. So like, yeah, I mean, a thousand percent to what you're saying. It is a moment to moment everyday thing living yeah. in these meat suits. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> so you're not the first person to share with me that in working with a client is there's something like, I can't believe this person, how did this person show up for me? Mm-hmm. There's, there's really a strong alignment that you couldn't possibly really speak to. And and what are, what are some of the gifts that your clients are bringing to you right now in this moment in time? Well, oftentimes I feel like, I mean, the one, let me just say that the one that comes to mind is is, is the, is the advice that I try to give myself, although 
you know, we forget in the heated moments, but it's just, it's kind of like what you were saying, which is to be gentle, to be kind to yourself, you know, and to like, do your very best today and trust that it's good enough. Mm. You know, another client that comes to mind is this beautiful woman. She's in her seventies and, you know, she's on this other like side of life, you know, where I feel like I'm in the thick of it with, you know, trying to raise a family, trying to have a career, trying to have a marriage, trying to have social life, you know, trying to do like all these things. And this woman is, you know, I feel like she could be me 30, 12, was that 23 years from now. Right. And so she is getting to cleanse and she has all the time to, you know, make the food and the juices. And then, you know, she can, you know, like spend time doing yoga and Pilates and walking the dog for two hours a day if she wants to, you know, because the truth of the matter is like her family, maybe some have died and passed on and some have grown and they have their own lives. And so, you know, my husband and I always joke around and we just like try to say, appreciate the zoo because someday we will miss it. <laughs> but we are very much in the zoo right now. And so trying to appreciate the zoo. So yeah, what else are my clients teaching me right now? You know, I think a lot of it has to do with, it's less about food and more about this inner game. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes it'll take a few sessions to get there with clients because, you know, they're coming from the perspective that, you know, food is the answer and that if they just exercise and work out harder and more that it'll change and affect things. And, you know, really it has to do with our nervous systems, our mindset and how we are, you know, sort of digesting life. So going back to my stomach kind of being like yeah. my guide, I am like, I am learning still always. And so, I mean, I've learned this before, but I'm learning it again currently that like I hold so much stress in my stomach and I am again, I'm, I'm learning how important it is for me to listen to that. Like I'm trying to digest all the zoo, if you will, through my stomach right now. And I need to practice working with my own stuff so that I can show up and be the very best that I can be. If that makes sense. It, it does. It makes a lot of sense to me. And I, I wrote down, appreciate the zoo because someday you will miss it. I think that's a, it's a beautiful line. It, it might even end up being the title of this episode of appreciating the zoo <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> Which is a really well, right, because life is a zoo, whether you have three children or not. <laughs> and I think it's really easy to glamorize a, a life where you have no responsibilities and that freedom to walk your dog for two hours and and all that. But there is there is beauty in the chaos, a lot of beauty in the chaos. And appreciating the zoo is a really good reminder. Mindset is something that I, I know it really it underlies everything that we do. And so I think maybe ostensibly on the surface, someone is probably reaching out to work with you because they want to get their food habits in order. They want to be eating better. They want to be making better choices. But I know you can really speak eloquently to mindset and the programming that is running us, whether it's conscious or unconscious. And uh, so how do you look at, it could be in your own life or when you're working with clients, but like, how, how could you, how would you speak to mindset 
in, in the way that it's influencing the way that we behave? Well, I think that understanding the way the conscious mind and the unconscious mind work is really important. And I heard, uh, I was talking to a therapist recently who basically is up on a lot of the neuroscience. And she said, now she believes that only 5% of what's happening on a conscious level is on the conscious surface, like what we are conscious to, what we are aware of 5%. I had always heard it more like 20%, which, you know, feels a little bit more comfortable, but it just made me realize 95%. If most of what is happening is under the surface outside of our conscious awareness, like we all need to be really working at that level, because if we're going to change things, we have to get under the hood. We have to look at what was going on in our environment before we were seven years old, you know, which is again, why with my third child, especially I'm like really being careful. Like what am I vibing to him that I don't even know that I'm vibing to him. Mm -hmm. Right. He's only four years old. So, so to me, when we talk about mindset, we have to get present to the inner dialogue, the unconscious thoughts, the unconscious programming, the things that we say to ourselves that's why I love writing in morning pages so much, by the way, because that's what shows up. All that unconscious programming comes up. And then that's where you get to decide, like, does that align with who I am? And so, you know, a lot of times I'll see clients, they come in, they, they know they have an emotional eating pattern, or, you know, they know that they have some binge eating tendencies, or just, they just check out. I was working with a client recently who had a beautiful dining room table and it's just her and her fiance living together, but they always ate at the bar. They always ate around the Island. And oftentimes she would stand while she was eating. And so as we're talking about mindful eating and becoming more conscious and aware while we're eating, I just asked her what, like you do, what was the dinner table like (laughs) growing up? Mike, She was berated at the dinner table by her mother, destroyed, right? Oftentimes she was forced to sit there until she finished her food. And it might, you know, be nine o'clock before she was allowed to get up from the dinner table. And I know that story is pretty common. And there was something, you know, in the way that that generation of parents were raising kids, like that, that type of discipline and, control over our, the little humans around us was like somehow effective, but she highlighted that and it helped her to really see the unconscious programming and that her mindset around food was that like, she's bad, that she's not good enough. You know, that food is like suffering. I often, her mom had some disordered eating. Her mom was taking food off of her plate You know, it's just like, there's so much that happens around the dinner table. So I love that you asked that question, but yeah, she was able to then bring her conscious awareness to her current dining room table and her current fiance who wanted to sit down at the dinner table with her. And so it's baby steps, right? Like she's not going to go sit down at the dinner table and gaze into the eyes of her fiance. Like, no, But at least to bring the meal over there as a first step is helping her to bridge that gap between an old conscious program and a new one that she's trying to create. 
Yeah, thank you for sharing that example because what, what it evokes for me is that it's easy from our own projection. Like I, I imagine that if I saw someone who was who had a beautiful dining room table or living room table, dinner table, and was eating at the bar, I would I would click into my own projection of how that makes no sense given my own personal worldview. And with a little distance, it, it helps to remember that everyone is behaving in a way that is really adaptive for their own set of life circumstances. And it doesn't have to be around food. It can be anywhere in life. But when someone is really overly passive or something, you know, I'm, these are all stories that we're making up. They're not actual truths. But a lot of judgments that people have are that someone's overly passive or might be really conflict avoidant or maybe really abrasive or too loud or too quiet or blah, blah, blah. There's a million different stories you might have. It's all from... It's basically what you said. It's all from a really adaptive, this is how they survived when they were younger. And it's a lot of the inner work that happens is, in my experience, I don't know if this was the way that you were saying it exactly, but you kind of revisit the moments that were really formative for you mm -hmm. and realize that you can change your narrative and change your story around them. It doesn't, you know, you're not a four-year-old who isn't capable of defending yourself anymore you can say, yeah, I don't, I'm not going to stand for that. And I, I actually want to do what I want here. And it's really the shifts that happen are really palpable and powerful. And uh, it doesn't have to be in extremely traumatic cases. It can also be with like really lowercase T traumas. A, a lot of the thing, the reparenting I've done for myself has just been moments where I disengaged in some way. It felt like my nervous system couldn't really handle what was there in that moment, but now it can. And the more that we can bring our presence to things like that, the more that we have more choice and, and freedom in our lives. There's there's a few different threads that I want to pull on. And and one of them would be just the, the choices that you're making around food, because I know that you look at food as an on-ramp of sorts into all sorts of other developments that when we are in touch with what we're putting into our body, that food is information, food is energy, it gives us more access to a lot of the things that we're talking about in this conversation today. So how would you look at your own relationship with food and, and how does that inform the way that you work with your clients as well? So, yeah, you said it. I mean, food is like a gateway into a larger conversation. And I've been saying recently, you know, how we do food is how we do life which kind of comes from the workshop that my husband and I did with T. Harv Ecker when, before we got married, if you know that name. And he would say, he said, how you do anything is how you do everything. And so I've been thinking about this, how you do food is how you do life. And I feel like, you know, we can all go through times, I certainly have, where our food can be chaotic, it can be disorganized, we're not planning it, and then we're eating on the fly, you know, we're sitting down, we're eating when we're not hungry, you know, it's like, it's mindless eating. And if food is, in my belief, food is never just about food, although I'm really passionate about getting food right, but not in a way that is dogmatic or super strict. I always say that, like, if you can get away with it, get away with it, have fun with food, right? Some of us can't get away with it. And 
sometimes you clean up your diet and you remove all the allergens, you know, you actually in some ways become more sensitive to having a piece of pizza. <laughs> I can't really have a piece of pizza anymore. It just really um, become, you know, adaptive to not having it. Right. Like I've ma almost maladaptive to having pizza, but we, in a lot of ways, we want to get our food as close to nature, in my opinion, as we can. And there is a whole conversation we could have about that. The other piece is this idea that, you know, food is not just about food means that we're often eating from this emotional standpoint. We're eating from old unconscious program. You know, we're eating to numb ourselves, to check out, to process stress, you know, none of those reasons that I just gave have anything to do with what, you know, true nutrition is all about, which is like converting energy so that the body can exist. So the body can thrive, you know? So if it's not about true nutrition and we're eating from this place of, you know, emotion and coping and old programming, like to me, that's the interesting conversation to have. Because if you're eating from that perspective, then it's likely that you're doing a lot of other things in your life from that perspective, whether that's in your relationships, whether that's with your work, whether that is, you know, how you drive your car or, you know, just really how you show up in the world has so much to do with how you eat. I mean, you can, you see it, I see it all the time where clients start to clean up their diet and then all of a sudden when they're like kind of, you know, planned and thoughtful and intentional about how they're eating, all of a sudden they're ready to address the fact that they hate their job or that they've got a, you know, messy, dirty secret closet that they shove everything into, <laughs> right? And so there's this sort of natural ripple effect where if you clean up your food and you clean up your diet, then you want to look at the other areas of your life. And I think we both went to Institute of Integrative Nutrition. Yes. yes. Right. So they talk about primary food, primary food is career, it's relationships, it's, you know, spirituality, it's creativity, it's finance. It's all these other things that feed and nourish us. And when we can get present to like, using food as a way to address those different sort of spokes in a wheel of life, then we become more whole and we become more whole because our nutrition is right. And then we have that foundation to explore these other areas of our lives. Mm. Well, I, I love that theory because it has felt really true for me in that the combination of movement and like you, I was very active young kid who, as my career started, I really lost touch with that. I was very sedentary. I was working long hours. I was relying on Adderall to get me through the day and coffee. And when I started to, there were lots of ups and downs in my journey, but when I started to connect with movement again and eating healthy, it felt like I uncovered this big mystery. I, I, it was, I, I couldn't believe the way that food was really impacting me. And we could have a whole other discussion about why it is that we live in a culture that really just looks at food as, I don't know, just 
a pleasure seeking, not not the way that you and I are talking about it right now, that it's it's something you just do three times a day and it's really just like a fuel to get on to the next thing. Where what what I'm hearing in your answer and what has certainly been true for me is that if you are eating what your body really wants, which is again another topic that we could really explore because everyone is different, but if you're eating what's nourishing for your body, I look at it as an in an analogy, if you're eating a lot of junk, you maybe your TV antenna is like bringing really fuzzy signals in. And so that's really what's blocking a lot of the other questions off. Like, what do I want in my career? What do I want in my relationships? And eating really well, for me, the antenna turned back on where I felt really clear and aligned. So like a piece of pizza for me feels the same way. I feel like my stomach gets a little constricted and I'm a little more anxious. And it's the, the, that tight feedback loop of, okay, not the right thing for me does permeate into other areas of my life where that same signal might show up in say a misaligned career choice or a relationship that is not serving me anymore. And I say all this to really just underscore like triple underline the impact that eating food that is nourishing for you can can have it, it allows you to move through your life with just so, so much more clarity and what's scary about that is with that clarity is you have a lot more how would i say it? there's i guess more personal responsibility you start to become aware of just like how much choice you have in your life and that could be really liberating and also disorienting in a weird way yeah, it's interesting because I think this is a slippery slope and I've seen it sort of go the other way, which is this idea that, you know, I really believe strongly in intuitive eating and, mm -hmm. and teaching people how to tune into how food makes you feel mm -hmm. at a very sort of physiological level. And I've seen this go the other way where people are kind of maybe more in their heads in this idea that like, well, I feel like having another coffee or I, you know, I, they kind of want to go with like, I, well, this is what my, what is this, what I want, you know, like I, this is what I desire. This can make me feel good to have a, you know, a cupcake or a like, and so do you know what I'm saying? It's like, yes. I have, I'm working with, some younger 13, some younger kids, a 13 year old, and again, well-meaning parents working with their daughters specifically wanting to make sure that they don't put any like, you know, crazy food rules on them. It's almost sort of backfired to this, you know, extreme where it's like, well, if you feel like eating Takis then you should eat more Takis. It's like, wait a second. Whoa. Like we all need some guardrails. And so I think that we have to really like be informed with what those guardrails are. And then also, I mean, there's so much to this. I don't even know where I'm going with it, Mike, honestly, but it's just this idea that like, we have, like, if I were to like, really like intuitively eat where I was like in my twenties, I would be sitting on the beach with a pack of cigarettes and a Mountain Dew. Like, I don't think that that's well-informed, you know, advice that I would give myself today. Right. Like, and, you know, so we have to like, we have to like, you know, kind of like look at this through the lens of, like I said, some really important guardrails, but not be too strict and, and not, not be able to go and have like a joyful food experience with, 
your friends and your family, even if that means you go off of your, you know, plan. And again, if you can get away with it, great, do it. If you can't, then that's another conversation. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm glad that you brought this up because I think that from the consciousness of like someone who isn't eating healthy or doing inner work, it's, it's easy to allow your mind to be uh, masquerading as intuition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm just going to, I'm going to get donuts today. If that's what, you know, that's what I'm feeling called to. There's a, I think pleasure comes from a, a deeper, more refined place with it's a lot of the other ancillary things that we've spoken about. Like if someone is, paying a little bit of attention to what they're eating at least and moving their body and has a mindfulness practice and is journaling. Like if you're able to get all the spokes on that wheel, at least moving in some sort of, it doesn't, they, they're never going to be perfect, of course, but in, in some way you're being conscious to them and being present to like these things matter in my life. I think intuition is a byproduct of doing all those things. And in the beginning, it's really helpful to have constructs and guardrails and guidelines that you're adhering to because that intuition in some ways, I don't think I've articulated it like this before, but in in a lot of ways, it's a, a skill, or at least it's something that you get a better sense of with lots of practice. And to just say like, I'm going to be an intuitive eater without any sort of, well, what is intuition to you? You know, what? What is the last choice you made from intuition? If for me, that was uh, like basically never in my whole life. (laughs) So it's a practice. It's a skill that's built. It is. Yeah. And I was just, you made me think about, you know, the, I feel like we're getting closer sort of with, you know, companies like Noom that aren't just teaching, Mm -hmm. you know, healthy eating. They're actually looking at the psychology behind eating. I think that's where it's at. You know, it's like we realize that we can't really make health changes if we don't work on the mindset and on the inner game. And, you know, in terms of like learning if something is, you know, a good food for you or trying to tune into your intuition, I think you're absolutely right. You know, like there are all sorts of different, you know, like very, very subtle things that we can do with ourselves to start to tune in to that, that, you know, that, that aspect of ourselves. And I think that it starts by just asking the question, like I often will say and teach my clients, like, just feel into like, if this food will hurt me or if it will harm me, sorry, if it will help me or harm me, you know, like, what is it? Is this food, how is this food going to make me feel beforehand? And just like, it is a, it's that subtlety, it's not going to come from your brain. If it comes from your brain and it's like, you know, it's sort of like that higher self thing we were talking about. It's like sort of subtle. It's in the background. And it's like, if you really start to tune in and pay attention to that, just as a practice, your body will give you the feedback. You know, like I remember when I was very young, we had this huge Thanksgiving dinner and, you know, I was eating like I, an American on Thanksgiving. And after the meal, I, fell asleep under the table. And I remember waking up and being like, why did we do that? Like, why do we eat so much that we want to fall asleep? Like intuitively in that moment, I was having an intuition that was like, I didn't, I didn't eat for, you know, energy in that moment. Now, again, this is like, maybe that's a holiday and we're going to do that. Right. We're going to eat ourselves silly. But I remember that very clearly me thinking like, why would I eat so much that I wanted to fall asleep? Like, that's not how we live our lives. Like, I don't think that's a winning strategy. (laughs) 
No. Yeah. What does a, if you look at intuition, I have, I've heard many people speak to what I would call a full body. Yes. And a full body. No. Mm -hmm. and what do those look like for you? I know they vary from person to person, but what do, they, what do they look like for you? Like, how do you know when something's aligned intuitively and how do you know when something's not? So the key is I, for me to drop into my body as someone who is super analytical and I process a lot between the ears, I have to remind myself to take a deep breath and to try to feel my feet Right. So just in the moment, like, can you stop and just feel your feet? This is what I would do to myself. Yep. Yep. We're going to feel our feet right now and try to take a deep breath down into my belly. And if I feel into, I, I love the full body. Yes. You know, to me, that feels like this opening. It feels expansive, you know, oftentimes a deep breath, like a deeper breath will just come as opposed to like when I, if it's maybe not a full body, yes, it's like more shallow. Mm -hmm. It feels like it's a little bit harder to like drop in and actually get the breath to go where you want it to. Whereas when it's more of a yes, it feels like it just sort of happens. It's like the, the breath breathes me, right? Is like, it's yeah. just sort of happening in the body as opposed to like me directing it. And I often will make decisions using the idea that if it's not a hell yes, then it's a no. Mm -hmm. And maybe I learned that from someone probably along the way, but when, when it's not super clear, I think we can like want to demand an answer. Like, I don't know what to do. I need an answer. And where's my intuition. It's not there. Like, and, and then again, we're in our head, we're trying to drive it, we're trying to control it, trying to force it. And to me, if it's not clear, then it might be just a no for right now. Mm. Right. And so, yeah, so that's, those are like those bigger decisions. I will, I will oftentimes tell my clients if they're standing in line at Starbucks, they can do a simple sway test and they just have to decide like in their body, what is a yes. And for me right now, we're on video. My yes is side to side. Right. So you could test this for yourself by testing your name. So you would just say to yourself, you know, my name is, you know, Julie Polyath and friends call me Jules and I'm swaying from side to side. If I were to say, you know, my name is Allison. What happens in my body is like I just sunk back very, very subtle. I sunk backwards and there's no movement. There's no flow. So. For other people, it might be a, the sway might go forward and backward. They might sway a different way. For me, I just contracted. Mm -hmm. And so I established what is a yes in my body? What is a no? And then I can ask the question going back to Starbucks, you know, is a scone and a bente mocha latte right for me? <laughs> I contract back. <laughs> I can see me, but my body contracts back. If I'm like, is a, is a jasmine green tea with some almond milk what I need right now? I feel a subtle sway from side to side, right? And so that's my body guiding me in line at Starbucks. <laughs> mm. Like a lot of me wants a coffee, but like, what does my nervous system want? Oh, a green tea. <laughs> I love that practice so much 
to to start refining your your sense of your intuition just by asking is my name michael just feeling what happens in my body and then just asking is my name julie and i can get a sense of a yes for me feels a little more like my chest moves forward and a little bit of opening for me and there's a lightness and uh, i get like a little bit of tingling in my arms and a no is kind of like my shoulders roll forward a little bit. And a lot of times when I'm contracted, it's like you said, my breathing is a little more shallow. I'm not, yeah, I'm kind of like hunching over and I feel a lot of activity in my stomach. Mm-hmm. And it's easy to swing for the fences with a lot of times I do this. I still catch myself doing this all the freaking time asking myself, like, should I do this career choice or this career choice? Or like, should I take this? And those, you know, I'm, I'm kind of picking up a hundred pound dumbbells instead of really working hard with the twenties. And it's a good place to start in the, in the workout analogy with, let's just pick up a couple of really light dumbbells and, and go for what we know is a yes. We know it's a yes already. So let's just see where our intuition is there and see what a no is. Yeah, you know, it's so interesting because I often think of the staircase analogy when making choices and, you know, paths and choosing which direction am I going and what should I be doing? And, you know, my conscious mind wants to see the entire staircase. Uh I want to know what the path is. I want to know that lifting weights is going to get me where I want to go. And the reality, I think, when I look back on my life is that if I can just look down and see my feet and know that this is the step to take today in this moment, then I will get to see the next step and the next moment. And that is life. It's a series of these little steps. And oftentimes, I I don't know for you, but I feel like I'm blindfolded. And in some ways, I think that's what I've asked for because I want to learn how to trust my inner guidance and my intuition. And yet my conscious personality ego is like, I want to see it all. I want to know that what you're, what I'm going to do today is going to make a difference and get me where I want to go. Right. So it's again, this sort of push pull. And the truth of the matter is like, I want to live from feeling and inner guidance and spirit. And that to me is where the flow is. That's where the creativity is. And I mean, I think Mike, that's what you're doing on this podcast too. Like you're like, let's see if we can find the stream and jump into it together (laughs) (laughs) and, you know, go for like a river ride. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm glad you're experiencing it that way because that's what it feels like for me too. And it's, it's one of the great joys of doing doing this podcast and and being in this forum. And it so, takes a lot of trust to yeah. say like, I'm going to like trust on what I know and who I am. And here we go. Like there's a lot <laughs> of trust in that. So I commend you for that. I appreciate it. In in some ways, every episode feels like I've never gone skydiving before, but every episode feels like it's you and me in uh, in an airplane together. And when I hit record, it's us jumping off the plane and it's like, all right, well, let's see where the hell we go. We, we already committed to this thing. <laughs> I love that. So is there anything that we haven't spoken about 
so far today that feels important to bring into the conversation now? Uh, any other aspects of your work? I know that there's so much that we haven't spoken about. We, we didn't really dive into your yoga teaching and your yoga practice and, and other forms of movement. There's so much more, but is there anything else that you'd feel called to bring into this moment? I mean, not really. Honestly, this has been delightful. You know, I, I think that if we can all just learn to trust and show up in our humanness, that what comes through is vulnerability and the fact that we're all trying to figure it out. And that, you know, this, this sense that like, it's a worthy endeavor to be imperfect <laughs> as much as yeah. we want to be perfect. I mean, that's, you know, that's coming from the reformed perfectionist. It's like, mm -hmm. I'm saying that for myself, just as much as the listener and to just, you know, trust that the universe has your back and that you are, you know, meant to experience the life that you're experiencing. Otherwise it wouldn't be happening. Mm -hmm. And we also have the power to, make a change, right? Have the power to dream up a life and a body and the relationship of our dreams, whatever it is, the thing that people are after that, you know, it's within your power as a human with the mind that you have, with the, the neurochemistry that you have to really, you know, live the life that you want. Mm -hmm. Well, that's, this is a beautiful place to segue into the back end of the interview. And I, I really appreciate you presencing and naming all that. Uh, trust is, it can be really scary. And also it's, it's one of the most vital things that we can do. It makes, it really brings out a lot of aliveness if we can trust. So one thing that I've been super excited to talk to you about, I, I actually call it the same exact thing. I, every single day, I don't know if you do it every single day, but I make a big ass salad. <laughs> oh, I love the big ass salad. <laughs> and when I was looking at your website and, and also I listened to the podcast that you did with his name escapes me, but you, you spoke about, you said, basically every day I have this really big salad that if I were, you know, if I make salad for my kids, I give them like a normal size. I make this giant bowl for myself every day. And that's exactly what I do. What's in your big ass salad, typically? You know, it's so funny, Mike, because I, I renamed my salad. There's in the Conscious Cleanse Cookbook, we have a salad of abundance, which was a form of one of my big ass salads. But I am claiming now big ass salad. And I I recently put a recipe on my Instagram for my big ass salad. And so what's in it typically are a couple different dark leafy greens. I've been really into laconado kale. I die for arugula, but it has to be like really fresh, spicy arugula. So getting my hands on that sometimes is difficult. And then sometimes a romaine lettuce. Sometimes if I am going to go the extra mile, I'll put some cilantro in there as well, just to keep it interesting. Mm -hmm a lot of ginger, a lot of fresh garlic, which I chop the, the ginger, the garlic and the cilantro up together. And that will form the base of my salad, which I put, can you tell I'm getting really hungry and passionate about this? Like, <laughs> <laughs> so I'll massage that with extra virgin, high quality extra virgin olive oil with some Himalayan pink salt. And I set it aside. 
And the key is to let that sit and marinate while you, while I prepare the rest of it. So it's radishes, it's sprouts, it's tomatoes, always avocado, often pumpkin seeds, sometimes some sprouted mung beans, sometimes some black rice, forbidden rice. And then the key is, for me, is a really delicious tahini dressing. And that tahini dressing might have some herbs in it. So make like a green tahini. Sometimes I put lemongrass and things like that in it, but like a, a tahini or sunflower seed based, like hearty dressing brings it all together. And it's just like, if I could eat that every single day, well, I, I do more or less eat a variation of that every single day. It's not always quite that elaborate, but that is my big ass salad. <laughs> all right. Yay, dark leafy greens. Yay, healthy fats. Yay, big ass salad. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, that's one one thing that people want to do to, you know, start to change the course of their health and their life. It's like, just add a big ass salad. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I went into, I, I still work part-time in accounting. And this week on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I went into my office. I had my big ass salad in the same bowl every single day. And one of my really well-meaning coworkers came up to me and was like, you gotta live a little. Why do you eat the same thing every day? And in the past, I would have gotten defensive about it and been like, yeah, you know, sometimes I do treat myself or whatever. But in this moment, I really was able to firmly stay like, this is this is me living my best life right now. I love the shit out of this salad. It's like <laughs> one of the highlights of my day, every day. It's Well, just- and we did not talk about detox but that would be the segue from there is like you have like you would eat the shit out of it like that you have to get the shit out of your body and that is the way to do it (laughs) yes yeah yeah could you speak a little bit more to that actually just i know that we didn't really talk about conscious the conscious cleanse and and detoxing so just very briefly and then i'll I'll get back to kind of the rapid fire back end oh sure Well, you know, I think that I'm super duper passionate about cleansing the body really at a cellular level. You know, the conscious cleanse is a a clean eating program, a 14 day whole foods based cleanse that really teaches people the basics of how to do this. And then also bring that conscious awareness in. And when it comes down to it, when I, oftentimes I'm seeing clients one-on-one now because their toxic load is to the max. And so often we're looking, I think that, you know, people come to me again, who have tried everything and they maybe have gotten the food, right. They've removed the food sensitivities and the allergies. What they haven't necessarily done is looked at their toxic load. And so we are toxic because of the food that we, you know, ate when we were growing up, all those pizzas and the cigarettes and the Mountain Dews and the Taco Bell and all the Skittles and the Fun Dip and all that stuff. Did I mention Taco Bell? I ate a lot of Taco Bell. (laughs) (laughs) But we just, we're not, we're not as focused, I would say as a culture on removing the waste from the body. And so it is, you know, more and more people are talking about, you know, colon hydrotherapy, actually removing the waste from the body that way. Far infrared saunas are another way to do it. Jumping up and down, doing jumpy jacks, moving the lymph exercise, sweating. These are all different ways that we detox, but we are just bombarded with toxins like never before. 
you know, and a lot of it, like I said, it's the food, but it's also the environmental toxins. It's in the water that we drink. And a lot of it is ancestral, right? It's being passed from, you know, mother to child in the placenta, like the amount of toxins that they're finding in the placenta is, it's, it's terrifying, right? So it's, it's generational, And there's always cleansing and detoxing work to do, even if, you know, you think you've done a good job, which I feel like I've done a good job over the years, there's still more, there's still more to do. And, you know, again, I think that it's just a, it's a worthy endeavor to look at your health from that perspective of like, yeah, you're getting the food that's going in your body, right? Great. It's a first, it's a really important first step. And if if most people did that, they would feel a hundred times better. The next step then is to look at all these other factors, what's leaving the body and how do we get the waste out? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So yeah, there's a whole other wide range of conversation there. (laughs) Yes. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad we're able to bring it in at least for a little bit here. And it's an already full conversation is even fuller now. So I just have a couple more questions for you. What is an ordinary everyday moment that brings you great joy? Mm. So the dinner table at my house is three boys. We try to sit down together as a family as much as possible. And we always try to do a rose and thorn. And right now my four-year-old kicks it off even when the rest of us forget. And mm-hmm. he will say, I want to share my rose and thorn. Oh. And, and then usually he's like, oh, I'm on stage. And he'll be like, you know, I, whatever, and it, it, whatever he says, he's just like, he's on stage and he's having his moment and he's just so lit up. And, you know, to me, sitting in that moment where he is like getting to share an intentional moment with the family is like so special. And then, you know, all hell can break loose from there, which it typically does, you know, like I have three (laughs) boys they're always up as much as we're trying to like have them come back and sit at the table. And we're trying to have family dinners that one moment where, you know, my four-year-old just gets so lit up to share with us is just really special. It's very precious that your four-year-old is that he relishes in the sharing a highlight and and sharing something that was tough, a rose in the thorn. What are some books we, we spoke about the artist way. I think that there might've been a couple of other things that come up that came up, but I, I love asking maybe two or three books that you would most recommend as it pertains to the conversation that we've had today or, or books that have shaped you in some way to be anything at all. Mm. Well, Wayne Dyer is a big, I feel like, you know, his spirit is with me more now than ever. And I often will call on him. So all and every book by Wayne Dyer, Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Life is a really big one. The Hippocrates Diet was a really big book in my, you know, coming of age in the world of nutrition. That's by Anne Wigmore. And that really is where I got my passion for, you know, cleansing the body at a cellular level, raw food and, and detox. So that is it. Did I say the the Hippocrates Diet by Anne Wigmore? Is that what I said? And then the other one that comes up is Louise Hay, You Can Heal Your Life. And I just think that's such a classic. It's a, it's important one, I think for everyone to have so that when their body is talking to them through symptoms and feelings 
And, you know, whatever it is, if it's your shoulder or your big toe, you can reference the Louise Hay book. And there's an affirmation there of like, what life, what may your body or what may life be trying to tell you? Yeah. So if that's, those are the ones that come up right now. Those are great recommendations. So I'll, I'll make sure I link to that in the show notes. We spoke a decent amount about revisiting past experiences. And I don't usually ask this question, but what if you had a moment right now to spend with, say, your 15-year-old self or 20-year-old self, whatever version feels most aligned for you, I'll, mm. I'll let you follow your intuition. What would you want to say to a version of your younger self right now, whichever version that is? I mean, I think that's what I said before about like, you know, tapping into your higher self and what my higher self would say to me now, or as a 20 year old, you know, is that like your best is good enough and just be yourself, just be yourself. (laughs) I love it. Yeah. So before I ask my final question, I'll just say what people can connect with you at your website. Is it it just Jules Nutrition? Yeah, just JulesNutrition.com is my website and you can email me there. I also am on Instagram and have all my links um, with current workshops that I'm doing. The free audio training is there and that's just uh, Julie.Palaya if you'll find it. Mm Uh, I'll link to the conscious cleanse, which I know has a, a separate page and a separate Instagram as well. So I'll make sure that all of that is there and accessible for the listeners. And uh, the final question that I ask every interview, the podcast is called Mike's search for meaning. And I would love to know in the words of Jules, what does it mean to live a meaningful life? What does it mean to live a meaningful life? Well, I think one that is in line with who you truly are. And I think life is a discovery to figuring that out. Right. And so living a meaningful life is, you know, tapping into where you get lit up, where your passions are, where you feel most alive, where you feel most like yourself and living a life in accordance with that, living a life in alignment with that. And so for me, like I said before, that's my family. Those are my friends. Those are my people. I think that actually relationships are everything that we have. And, you know, in so many ways, they're a reflection of our lives. And, and so, like I said, to me, it's, it's about relationships, family, friends, and, and then, you know, living a life that you feel truly aligned with mm. and, and knowing when that alignment is maybe taking you in a different direction, which can be really scary and very challenging. And it's sort of like jumping out of the airplane, you know, hoping that the, the parachute goes off, right? Mm-hmm. Like, okay, I'm feeling the pull to do this. I got to do it. I don't know why. <laughs> Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> Well, one of the reasons that I signed up for, maybe the the primary reason that I signed up for the Institute for Integrative Nutrition was because I just wanted to teach everyone about the power of food. But the further that I get into this work, it's aligned with what you were saying. I think relationships are probably 
if we have real relationships where we can be our full selves and feel really connected, that's probably the primary thing that I would tell anyone to focus on. And relationships don't have to only be external, meaning family or peers, colleagues, friends, but relationship to yourself as well. And so your words to your younger self that your best is good enough and, and really meaning that is a, a powerful gift to yourself and, and helps to forge that really strong relationship with yourself. So I, I really appreciate so many different things about your work, but I think that holistic health in some ways is getting bastardized these days that it's, uh, I don't know, there, there's lots of different criticisms that I've heard of health, but what I really appreciate about holistic health and specifically about your approach to it is that you are really understanding the full person. And I actually, my stronger criticisms are usually in the opposite direction that if we only focus on one element of the person, we're missing a lot of different information. And it's, it's very evident from our conversation today that you are focused not only on the food, which we didn't even talk that much about today, but mindset, spirituality, connection to your highest and higher self. And that's, that's why I invited you on. And it was really a, a privilege. And for me, it was a delight as well to have this conversation with you. So thank you for being here. Mm, thank you so much. I enjoyed this immensely. And yeah, just really appreciate what you're doing, Mike. Thank you. You're very welcome. And to all the listeners, I hope that you are gentle and kind to yourself, that you know that your best is enough and have a good rest of your day or evening. Take good care and lots of love. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to listen to Mike's Search for Meaning. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, share this episode with your friends, and leave a review. I look forward to seeing you next time, my friends. And until then, stay safe, stay well, and keep living with purpose. Peace.